Hey, this episode is about stand-up comedians. And I bet you're thinking, what does stand-up comedy have to do with artist pep talks? Well, they give great advice to each other about sticking it out, surviving career droughts, negative reviews, and staying true to your creative star. And I think we artists can all also benefit from this treasure trove. Like, for example, check out this quote from stand-up Justine Marino. The ones that shoot to stardom instantly and are successful from the get-go are the ones that quit. It just doesn't happen quickly. You're gonna get a ton of no's, so you better love it. You almost have to be a glutton for punishment because you're gonna go on hundreds of failed castings." End quote. Mm-hmm. I mean, am I right? Same sees. Be right back. You are listening to Pep Talks for Artists, a podcast offering small words of encouragement to all those shuffling along the artist's road. I'm your host, Amy Toluda. Okay, so surprisingly, we have a large amount in common with comedians. Once I was listening to this podcast called The Art of Bombing, hosted by comedian Dan Bupitz. And I love this podcast because he asks his stand-up comic guests to relate tales of their worst bombs, a.k.a. when the audience was underwhelmed, disruptive, or downright mean and hostile. And so in one episode, comedian Caitlin Palufo was on, and she was talking about her own bombs and revealed in passing that she was used to rejection because she used to be an artist. And aha, this confirmed something I had always thought. Comedians, they're just like us. And I thought I'd do an episode about the crossover similarities because a lot of pep talks that comedians make for each other can also pep us. And their gripes and pet peeves also ring true. Here, we can poach a little bit of their road-honed wisdom ourselves and come out the other side feeling understood and a little bit better. At the very least, hearing some of their war stories will put that latest rejection in perspective as bad, but not that bad. For example, comedians are just like us because we're both living and dying by the sword of our own imaginings. What we create is unmediated, And if it flops, there's no art director, choreographer, or editor to share in the blame. Our work is farm to table, and we are the farmer, the chef, and also the table. (laughs) And sure, we depend on galleries to sometimes host and promote our work, but that bad review is landing squarely on us. And there are many, many more similarities too. But for now, let's discuss how we both experience rejection. Going back to the Art of Bombing podcast, Caitlin said that the painfulness of getting artist residency rejections made her bulletproof for her life in comedy. She says, I come from the art background where you would apply to residencies, 
which is kind of like the festival profile in comedy. So I would try to get into these residencies, and you have to do the same application to put out your work. You have to do a bio, and you have to pay a fee. And I got rejected from all of them. So I was already ready for rejection. End quote. Yeah, that's one solid way we overlap. Applying to things and getting rejected, and often paying them for the privilege. But there are so many other overlaps. Now, a quick disclaimer. My tastes in comedy run to alternative comedy, which is a style that's more artistic, risk-taking, i.e. comics that challenge the form while also being autobiographical, kind of like the surrealists of stand-up. In New York, a hub for this kind of comedy was the Luna Lounge. Any New Yorkers remember that place? Maybe you remember that place if you lived in New York, back in the day. And they had a weekly series called Eating It, <laughs> co-created by Janine Garofalo. And it featured many known names until the building was sold and raised. And alternative comedy is kind of like an antidote to the basic bees of the comedy world who spew crass one-liners and cliche or toxic punchlines. Alt-comics dare to make nuanced social commentary and show their vulnerable underbelly on stage, and then find a way to make it funny. And I'll add a few of my faves to the show notes. So, okay, as I mentioned at the top, another one of our Venn diagram intersections is the way that artists and comics have no mediators. Like, it's just us. It's only what we make up, served up fresh to the audience. Fear of rejection from galleries, shows, applications is so real for us in particular because we are bearing the brunt. And yet, still we persevere because we, like stand-ups, are resilient AF. And we know it's all part of our own unique vocation. Self-exposure is the brand. Also like us, comedians have to swallow their pride professionally a lot. Maria Bamford, my favorite, offers this insight and mantra from her album Old Baby. Quote, I'd like to do a vulnerable impersonation of my mother, but I don't want to do it in front of a sports bar where the Raisin Bran Bowl is playing and nobody's listening. Well, Princess Daffodil, that would be the whole fucking thing. So why don't you learn to project above nine television sets and make some friends? End quote. And just like us, a long career of a comedian may require wandering in the desert of obscurity for years. Where one's mettle as an artist is tested, in the iron forge of nobody cares. Maria again, quote, If you're lucky in life, you get to have those dark times, the relationship equivalent of two weeks in Lachlan, Nevada, bombing three shows a night for hundreds of silent, angry jet skiers, laughing, crying, thinking, this is not at all what I wanted. But there's always one strawberry toaster pastry left in the hallway vending machine, and you break it and share it with the opener and the headliner, and you make it through another show. And that way, you get to days like today, where it all seems like it was meant to be. End quote. The wear and tear of showbiz and the art market on a creative, sensitive soul is real. 
We are but tender mole rats, blinking in the glare of the spotlight, longing for our underground burrows. And speaking of, let's talk bad reviews. Generally, comedians don't get reviewed in the U.S., but when they travel, all bets and gloves are off. Comedian Todd Berry recounts two scathing reviews he received when performing at the Melbourne Comedy Fest. The first was in a magazine called Impress. Quote, in a festival where slick multimedia presentations are the norm, the simplicity of this show is the intellectual humor equivalent of taking a yoga class. End quote. Ouch. And this one from the Melbourne Chaser. Quote, in the show we saw, Barry had a tendency to get down on himself for not whipping the audience into a frenzy. But when your delivery level is one notch above hypnosis, that is hardly surprising. End quote. Double ouch. Those reviews are the textbook definition of being damned with faint praise. A bad review can be devastating, but P.S. it's also hard to be a leave-off or unmentionable. You know, like when your group show gets reviewed and everyone else gets a shout-out but you. And like it's implied your work only flickered in like a shadowy ghost. Unworthy of the teeniest blurb. You just become and others. So brutal. And I've got more artist-comic similarities for us. We are so far from being done. Just like us, comedians get the post-show blues, especially when things don't go well. When a show ends up having a silent or angry audience, this is called a bomb in comic parlance. And maybe not in a direct manner, but we also get the bad feels when our goals for an exhibition fall flat. Maybe we're hoping for press or sales, or maybe an important friend missed it. And we can feel only silence in response to our Herculean creative efforts. Dan Bublitz of the Art of Bombing podcast calls this post-bomb period the bumming of bombing. And many comedians on his podcast and online have different ways of dealing with it. A lot of times for them, forcing themselves to think ahead and clinically study the failure for next time helps. Kind of like in a scientific experiment way. In her article, How to Bounce Back After Bombing, comedian Emma Tattenbaum-Fine, who calls herself a failureista, gives some helpful tips. She says to, one, remember to be gracious and thank the people who did support you and the venue that hosted you. It's just one show, not a predictive domino about to cascade into a lifetime of bad luck. Two, after the initial shock wears off, she says, try to identify a small positive takeaway before it calcifies in your memory as 100% bad. Three, consider where, when your show took place and how that might have affected the turnout. If it was smack dab in your home community, of course it will be well seen and posted everywhere. But if it's clear across the country or over a holiday, you might have a smaller audience and that's to be expected. And lastly, she advises ice cream. Lots and lots of ice cream. 
And my own advice is contained neatly in episode number 33 called Post-Exhibition Blues, which I made with Jennifer Coates, which is an episode that sounds like it might be sad, but it's actually a laugh a minute. Check it out. Hi, it's me, Amy, just popping in with a word from our sponsor. Are you or someone you know planning on pursuing an MFA or certificate program in painting or sculpture? If so, please consider applying to the New York Studio School. Deadlines for next year's fall semester are coming up this January 15th, 2024. As a full-time student at the Studio School, you will join an exceptional community of artists, study with dedicated instructors, and cultivate the skills and methods that will prepare you for a lifetime of art making. The two-year in-person MFA and three-year in-person or virtual certificate program offer artists the opportunity to expand the depth of their studio practice in their chosen area of study. Across programs and disciplines, the Studio School is committed to fostering a community of excellence and inclusivity where all members can thrive. A wide range of scholarships are also available. All admitted students who seek financial aid receive some form of support, which is handy in this economy. Join the expansive New York Studio School community at their historic address on West 8th Street in Manhattan or online from your home studio. Visit nyss.org to learn more and apply today. When artists and comedians get the blues after a show, we both need to rush into the loving, supportive arms of our friends. This story by comedian Paul F. Tompkins about performing on New Year's Eve at the Whiskey A Go-Go Bar on the Sunset Strip just makes me want to laugh and cry at the same time. It's truly a magnificent bomb. P.S. This is from his album Laboring Under Delusions on a track called The Ice Storm. He said that he was on stage doing his set and everyone seemed to be liking it until minute six when it was like, quote, someone had thrown a switch and people's happy, smiling, welcoming faces swiveled around on their skulls and were replaced by these angry, hate-filled, mean faces. Boo! Why are you still up there? We tolerated you for five minutes! Boo! End quote. And then by minute 12, the audience starts pelting him with ice cubes. And then after he got off stage, you know, he was huddled in shock, seated in a dark corner. And a few other comics came over to offer words of comfort, like, hey, I thought you were funny, and listen, don't quit, and you stood your ground. And like, oof, this whole scene of when the whole world seems to reject you, and you have to cleave to your artist friends for support— it really struck home and reminded me of that old Gustin and de Kooning story. You know, you probably know it already, but it was when Gustin was having his first show of his late cartoonish work at Marlboro in 1970, and everyone was outraged at his new work, including his own friends even. And the opening was a bit hostile. And de Kooning came up to him and hugged him and told him that his real subject was freedom. I think if we could just find one or two true blue down to clown de Koonings to have in our corner, 
we'd be fine until the rest of the world catches up. Comedians and artists both also have to check their egos sometimes and accept that their careers might not immediately yield money or accolades. It's a hardcore vocation and a labor of love. And let's face it, that we'll all keep working at no matter the financial or professional rewards. Comedian Kyle Kinane hilariously puts it this way in an interview on the Hot Breath Comedy Podcast. Quote, don't ever use the word career and stand up in the same sentence. I always tell people like, do you love it enough that you'll do it for free forever? If you can't say that sentence, don't do comedy. It's a bar sport. It's like darts or pool. You can be really good at it, and you can be the best person at darts in that bar. And then maybe you'll get so good at darts, you'll be able to get to other bars and maybe get some free nachos. But think about how many dart players pay their bills from darts. It's not a lot. So you just got to be one of those people who loves playing darts. You're going to go to work. You're not going to quit your job so you can travel playing darts for a couple beers in different bars across the country. Maybe. I mean, maybe you'll get to that. Do you love the challenge of it? It's a puzzle that doesn't get finished. That's what's great about comedy. There's no end to it. The act is never done. End quote. See, these quotes are good, you guys. And similarly, at the heart of our own practices is the striving to find a balance between our own creative fulfillment and our desire for professional success. I think the ultimate goal of visual art is to generate questions, kind of like the opposite of a crossword puzzle, where the pleasure is in finding the solution. Art's pleasure is in the seeking. The more questions a finished work raises, the better. And the better to keep coming up with new work and ideas. Because artist block is the absolute worst. Like comedians, we're not really in it to win it, per se. Rather, we're in it to keep discovering things and surprising ourselves. And just like comedians, we accept that part of this process is also daring to reveal these surprising personal discoveries to a faceless, nameless audience, an often terrifying prospect. Comedian and writer Beth Lapides frames the struggle to ride that knife edge of creative bravery and career advancement like this in this interview, also on the Hot Breath podcast. Quote, Comedy is a spiritual path. It's an uplifted way of life. You do want to feel like you're getting somewhere in life, even if it's just an illusion, even though life isn't linear and time doesn't exist and careers are manufactured. You do want to feel like progress, not perfection. To me, the most important benchmarks are, am I doing personal material? Do I know my story? Am I working from an authentic place? Is it exciting to me? This is very liberating, I think, the idea that you're actually giving laughs instead of getting laughs. People get on stage and think they're trying to get something. Once you forget about that, you're not trying to get anything. All you're trying to do 
is give. Try to give. End quote. That last part really resonated because it made me think how powerful changing our mindsets can be. I think we all get frustrated when a show we're in falls short of the mark. But what if we just thought of that show as a visual gift, a visual gift to the world, with no further expectations? We just said, enjoy to the planet Earth and let go of everything. What if we used generosity as a mindset, as a mindset raft, to float safely through the treacherous river of entitlement that having a show sets us upon? And speaking of changing our mindsets to better endure the harrowing whitewater river ride of an art career, sometimes the mindset comedians turn to is literally an art mindset. Formerly mentioned stand-up Maria Bamford admits to cherishing The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron, a book that has helped countless fine artists. She confesses that the book gave her the courage to finally get on stage. She says in an interview in the Third Rail Quarterly that she's done the book's program, quote, a billion times. She says, I'll say those affirmations to myself. I don't believe in God, but I do believe in the structures, you know, like neural pathways. We can restructure. I can restructure my brain in a way so that I'm empowered, so that I'm more likely to create and do things that will make me and the world around me better if I'm in a more positive state of mind, end quote. And banishing fear, resistance, doubt, and insecurity is the key to making the work we need to make and being brave enough to share it. We all have our banishment techniques, certain books, magic spells, or mantras to clear out the ghoulies because what we do, I mean, most people couldn't hack it. You know, like it takes guts to be vulnerable in the spotlight or under the gallery track lights. And so next time we're bummed because yet another one of our applications bombed, or we got a tepid or bad review, or a studio visitor spent the whole hour commenting on our paint palette, we should take heart and channel the Bamford again from her guest spot on the Mental Illness Happy Hour podcast. Quote, I used to ask that of comedians, like, how did you make it? And it's like, I remember Emo Phillips just said, Pretty soon, you end up doing it for a long time, and a lot of people have seen you. And that's exactly what I say to comedians. I say, yeah, you just do it, and you keep doing it, and pretty soon you've been doing it for a long time, and people say, oh, you still doing that? Like, there's no mystery, end quote. And yep, we're still doing that. And let's face it, we're going to keep on doing that. Because you know what? The world needs our unfiltered voices to drown out the hacks and the hecklers. To not let bombs bum us out to the point of not working. And finally, there are people out there, maybe other artists, maybe the art-loving public, or maybe even people in the future, that want to see what we have concocted. They want to feel a connection to another person and see the world through a new set of eyes. And we can't let all these beautiful beings down, can we? Our audience, present and future, 
is eagerly waiting to hear from us, right there, seated in the dark. And cue the spotlight, because we're up. P.S. As a last word, and an image of inspiration and commiseration, on how scary yet important it is to put ourselves out there. Here's a clip that I dug up from Johnny Carson's first night hosting The Tonight Show. Bravely standing there all alone in a suit against a silvery curtain and showing us all that nerves are normal. Feeling unworthy is normal. And so is worrying about what people think. The trick is to do it anyway. Okay, here's Johnny. You get kind of charged up. I don't mean to be maudlin about it. But I know that tonight a lot of people, a lot of my friends are watching all over the country. And I only have one feeling as I, I stand here knowing that so many people are watching. I want my man there. I'm your host, Amy Toledo, and you've been listening to Pep Talks for Artists podcast. Please visit Peps on Instagram at Pep Talks for Artists to see images that go with all the episodes. You can also find me on Instagram too, at Talutes, that's T-A-L-L-U-T-S, or online at amytoludo.com. And drumroll please, the podcast has a Patreon. If you're interested in learning more, head on over to patreon.com slash pep talks for artists to find out how you can support the podcast and get exclusive mini episodes and early access to scheduled shows. All links are in the show notes. And a special shout out to new patrons, Alexi Rushbrock and Marinelli Penango. Welcome, you guys. Thank you also to this episode's sponsor, the New York Studio School, nyss.org. Okay, that's it. I really appreciate you stopping by, and I'll see you next time. unworthy of the teeniest blurb